0: Siege of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland. Book 5. Critical Spring. Chapter 3. Doug's Mountain, Vermont. Phew! This uphill driveway is certainly no piece of cake, said Susan. She adjusted the rope around her waist. The toboggan of supplies behind her hissed and scraped as it rode over the hard snow. This reminds me of trying to walk up Walnut Hill last fall. Man, I didn't think I'd make it to the top. It's not such a super tall hill or anything. Well, nothing like this one. But I had some carbon monoxide in me. (laughs) Ah, but that's a whole nother story. Sure glad there's no monoxide this time. This toboggan is tough enough. Paul didn't look up. He was carefully minding his steps. The heavy backpack made him less stable on the irregular packed snow. Walnut Hill is where Walter and Sally live, continued Susan. It was totally amazing to find out that you've got your own Walter way out here. I've been wanting to get a message back to, uh, well, everyone back in Cheshire to let them know that I'm okay, you know. Some of them are probably worried that I'd been eaten by bears or something. She chuckled at her own joke. But Paul didn't look up. He concentrated on his steps. Now that I know that you've got this radio guy, that explains how you knew what was going on inside the coalition and how you found those odd parts for Rupert's steam engine. I was starting to think you were some kind of psychic or something, but having your own Walter makes a lot more sense, and it's a lot less creepy. <laughs> Yay for less creepy, right? Still, in spite of this monster hill, I'm glad that I could come along, because... Paul stopped and faced her. Susan stopped, suddenly alerted to some possible danger. What? What is it? Paul looked her in the eye and raised one eyebrow. I I do not talk too much, Susan protested. You don't talk enough. That's the problem. Paul rolled his eyes and continued trudging up the narrow snow-packed road. I mean, in normal conversation, both people talk. One says something and the other responds. She gave Paul a long pause in which to pick up his half of the conversation. None came. Susan shook her head and gave the toboggan an extra firm tug. Whoa, is that his house up there? she said. Susan and Paul emerged from a colonnade of trees. A small, drab, gray house sat at the edge of an irregular clearing. Perched on the hillside precariously, as if propped up against the hill by tall and slender deck posts. It looked as if a stiff breeze might send it all toppling down. Behind the house, a tall gray truss antenna was nearly invisible against the slate blue sky. Susan noticed movement on the roof of the house. A stocky man, looking nearly round in his insulated coveralls, came out from behind a bank of dark blue solar panels. He waved, then turned to descend the ladder. "'Paul!' said the stocky man. He had a round face and a round nose. He held both arms open wide as he approached them. "'How the heck is my favorite nephew, eh?' "'Ooh, you got some more jerky for me, right? Wait, uh, who is this, then?' The man waved an arm toward Susan. "'Oh, a lady friend,' he winked. Paul frowned his disapproval at the insinuation. Aye, my name is Susan,' she held out her hand. "'Douglas C. Stewart, at your service. You can call me Doug.' He took off his heavy mitten for a less insulated handshake. You haven't seen you round these here parts before.' Uh, Yeah, I'm a bit of a refugee, but the Ameses, Sandy and Carl, they're letting me stay in one of their little upstairs rooms. Ah, Sandy, Doug nodded. She's got her a big heart, that one. Good people. Paul here. Doug gave Susan a hint of a wink. He's okay, people. (laughs) But don't get him started talking politics or something. Never shut him up. Doug laughed heartily. Paul gave Doug a weary look, sighed, and took the toboggan rope from Susan. He pulled the sled up to the house's walk-out basement door. Doug waddled after him. uh, "'You did bring some more jerky, right? You said you would. Uh, Been a string of sunny days of late. Got enough charge saved up for a good long listen. Uh, Maybe a couple of short transmits.' They disappeared into the dark doorway beneath the deck. Susan hesitated at the doorway. It didn't feel right somehow. She chalked it up to not being properly invited in. Nonetheless, she felt sufficiently part of the group to follow them in. The little attic room was dimly lit by one small window at the gable end. Doug and Paul walked down the narrow passageway between stacked cardboard boxes to the radio set near the window. Susan stopped at the head of the stairs. The air was musty. The dimness and close quarters sent a shiver up her back. It was a bit too much like the baron's attic lair. She figured that's what bothered her. She swallowed hard and tried to give herself tunnel vision, focus on the destination. The radio equipment was stacked along the back of a heavy wooden table. When she got to the window, she let out the deep breaths she was holding in. The light felt good. Doug sat in a creaky metal desk chair. A stick of jerky stuffed into one cheek like a big cigar. The jerky wiggled up and down as he gnawed on it. Both hands flipped little chrome switches or turned black plastic knobs. "'Takes her a bit to get all woke up,' he said to no one in particular. "'We got about ten minutes afore key time, if'n there's anything to get, that is. Lately, there hasn't been much.' Uh, "'In the meantime, I was hoping we could get some news on that ship in Detroit.' "'The what?' Susan felt a little embarrassed at her rusty geography. She had always pictured Detroit as a Midwestern city, as much as she ever pictured Detroit at all. Factories surrounded by cornfields and railroad tracks, her mental image had no place for a ship. "'I guess I've been a little out of the loop for news. Uh, "'A ship in Detroit?' Doug held one earpiece of a headphone set up to his ear while he slowly turned a big knob. Oh, you ain't heard about that, eh? Ah, here we go. Coalition shortwave. Doug stared up at the sloped ceiling boards while he listened. Ah, they're still talking about the Fed forces stepping up attacks along the border down south, North Carolina. Coalition forces holding the line. I think them feds are just poking for trouble rather than seriously after land, uh, if you ask me. He pulled away the headphone and turned to Susan. So yeah, about that ship, you see, back when Chicago was on the verge of collapse, they, uh, well, from your blank look, I take it you didn't know about that neither. Oh yeah, Chicago was a right holy mess. Toward the end, coalition forces closed off everything to keep the hoodlums in. And the hoodlums were burnin' just about everything that would burn. The Uppity ups, you know, Fed loyalists, Chicago government types and all. Eh was hemmed in and just down to one last neighborhood, Gold Coast, fitting enough, eh? Rioters were pressin' in really bad scene. Rioters probably figured them rich folks had lots of food. Dem Richies knew their gooses was cooked if the hoodlums got hands on em. So they arranged to have a cruise ship come down lake and whisk them all away. Made an evac by boat. Doug leaned into the headphone cup again. Ah, nah, still skirmish reports. Yeah, uh, what was I saying? Uh, rich folks on a cruise ship, prompted Susan. Paul pulled up a chair. All right, the ship, the Superior Star. It was several days ago. Ship made its way past Mackinac. Theory is, they're bound for Buffalo, or maybe Erie, you know, back to friendly fed territory. Well, they was making their way down to Lake Huron when the uppity ups of Detroit they wanted to evac, too. They were in just about the same pickle with their own hoodlums. They yeah, kind of had them holed up in a few blocks around City Hall. Apparently, the snoots from Chicago said no, so when the Superior Star was coming down the river, Detroit folks strung a barrier across. Barges and cables and stuff wouldn't let them pass until the Chicagos let the Detroits come aboard. Uh, that was yesterday. I'm thinking something must have happened by today. He leaned forward on one elbow, holding the headphone to his ear. Oh, hey, hey, this sounds like it could be it. He unplugged the headphone and flipped the big paddle switch.
1: are uh, uh, unconfirmed. But from the activity I can see at City Hall, it looks like the Star has agreed to take on the city officials and their group. Rumors are that the Star has agreed to take on 100. Another rumor said only 20.
0: Why does he sound like he's in an old video game? Susan whispered to Doug. Ah, lossy compression, Doug said over his shoulder. Pretty typical of coalition reporters behind the lines. They record their stories, down-sample them, probably to 4-bit, compress, and packet transmit them later. Harder to trace. Pretty trashy audio, but they gotta do it that way. Oh, Susan smiled slightly. Compression was untechnical technical enough to understand. The rest uh,
1: didn't help all that much. Hold on,
0: the buzzy voice continued.
1: I can see people streaming out of City Hall. They're they're running toward the river. Maybe 30. Uh, No, no, 50. No, maybe it's more. Like twice that. Uh, they're running across Jefferson Avenue. Some have suitcases, uh, roller bags. Others have their arms full of boxes or, or other stuff. Clues, maybe. Uh, I can't tell from up here. Oh, one lady fell down. Uh, her box of papers flew everywhere. Ah, uh, uh, they're trampling right over her. They're all running through Hart Plaza. There's a ferry tied up at the river walk. Uh, black smoke is rolling up from its funnel.
0: Oh, what happened to the lady who fell? Susan whispered.
1: Shh, admonished Doug. Uh, back up at Woodward and Randolph Street, the crowd behind the barricades is getting more worked up than I've seen them before. Uh, I can hear the chanting from up here. Two two black m-raps are rolling up, uh, one at the corner of Woodward and Lemon, the other's rolling up Randolph. Uh, men in riot gear are getting out. Uh, it looks like they've got long guns. Oh, this can't be good. A uh, fish in a barrel. Uh, no, no, wait! The crowd is pushing over the fencing. They're rushing police lines. Uh, the police are, are falling back, uh, running toward the river. Oh, uh, automatic fire. Oh, the black ops guys are... Oh, man! People in front are falling like bowling pins. They keep them coming. too many of them. the riot troops are falling back now, too. Oh, more gunfire! Uh, more falling! Oh, crud, I hope I can get out of here. The streets below are going to be crazy. The people at Hart Plaza, uh, they're still trying to get aboard that ferry. Oh, now the Black Ops guys are trying to get on, too. Uh, the ferry is pulling away. Oh, man, people are falling in the river. Oh, they won't last long in there. Oh, water is ice cold. The boat is turning out. There, there's people hanging on to the... Yeah, well, not anymore. Uh, the ferry is pulling up to the Superior Star. Now, the, the star has her engines up, even though the barricade is still strung across the river. Uh, who's left on shore to take the barrier down? Uh, people are climbing up the netting on the side of the star. Uh, wait, oh, hold on, something's going on up north. Uh, I need to refocus. Uh, there's a, a bunch of small boats coming out of Milliken. Five, uh, no, seven, uh, I can't tell how many now. Uh, they're headed for the star. Shots are fired. I don't know if it was from the boats or the. Oh, no, no, it's both ways. Oh, hey, now there's a lot of white churn coming up from behind the star. It's moving. There's still ferry people trying to climb the netting. Oh, small boats are swarming alongside. Uh, boat people are, are grabbing the mesh. Oh, more gunfire. Uh, it looks like the star is going to ram the barricade at, at the span of cables between two barges. Oh, contact. The cables, uh, they're not breaking. They're only pulling. Uh, she's slowing down. Uh, ow! That was loud. Something snapped. Uh, looks like big wrinkles in the sheet metal at the front of the ship. Uh, cracks too? I can't tell. The star is still making headway, dragging the barges beside its bow. Maybe one on the other side too. Is the star taking on water now? Oh, I can't tell. Uh, I, I can see people running out onto Ambassador Bridge. Uh, I can't see what they're doing. Are are they planning to jump aboard as the ship passes underneath? Well, that would be crazy. Are they going to shoot at the ship? Oh, crud. Voices. Someone's coming up on the parking deck. Uh, Gotta close. Uh, This is Lugnut 55, out.
0: That's all? Susan asked. Uh, What happened to those people? I don't know. That's all for now, said Doug. Uh, Might be another report tomorrow. Uh, If that Lugnut guy got out alive. Otherwise... Are things really that crazy out there? Susan pointed at the radio. It's so quiet around here. Not always like that everywhere out there, No Some of them big cities have been steadily collapsing and getting worse. Yeah, we's got quiet around here because we're not in a city. And we're deep inside fed territory. No border fighting, pretty quiet. But if you don't count New Hampshire refusing to tow the fed line it's different out there in the borderlands oh um susan looked down her fingers fidgeted with a lock of hair speaking of new hampshire uh, one of the reasons i asked paul if i could come along is i uh, was wondering if i could send a message susan had been frustrated over not getting back to cheshire before this five corners was comfortable but part of her was restless to return to her adopted home Twice she had hiked to the river with all her gear, but no particular plan. Both times fate conspired against her. Between random extra patrols and fed faithful residents reporting a suspicious person in the area, getting back across the river proved harder than she thought it would be. Sending a message would reassure them that she had found a way to outwit fate. Doug tilted his head like a puppy. A message? Uh, To who? Oh, just a quick note to some people back at the town I came from. I got kind of separated from them. I'm sure they're worried. I just wanted to let them know I was okay. I did that once before, last fall, uh, with another ham radio guy named Walter. Uh, You must know Walter. He had an ID number of some kind. It was, um, oh, shoot. It started with a... Her arms dropped to her side. Her mind went blank. Maybe a K, Doug prompted. Yeah, yeah, it was a K, and then, um, the clue didn't help. Blankness prevailed. K1NTZ. <gasps> right, yes. Oh, you so you do know Walter? Seen a few messages sourced from him. Never actually spoke to him. He's in New Hampshire, so chattin' with him woulda uh, got a feller in big trouble. Oh uh, well, I don't want to get anyone in trouble. Susan looked at the floor. I just don't want him to be worried. Paul leaned in and tapped his wristwatch. All right, almost seven after the hour. Time to see if there's any coalition ops messages. Paul scooted his chair closer so he could put a notepad on the table. Doug twisted some knobs. After several long moments of nothing but white noise, a voice crackled through the static. CQ, CQ, Tomahawk. "'Repeat. Tomahawk. A. Niner. B. One. C. Seven. A. Two. E. Niner.
1: J. three.
0: Paul quickly scribbled the letters and numbers on his notepad. "'What the heck is that all about?' Susan whispered to Doug. "'Code,' Doug said out of the side of his mouth. "'Oh, well, obviously,' snipped Susan. "'But what does it mean?' "'I've no idea.' "'Oh, how can you not know? It's your radio. Don't you do this all the time?' "'Well, maybe,' Doug said cagily. Yeah, "'But I ain't got the key. Couldn't have it in the house. Every couple of weeks or so, the townies come up here digging around, snooping through everything for some sign that I've been up to something. I show them transcripts of speeches from whichever Fed Mucky Muck is pontificating that week. I write down some Fed progress reports.' Like what Governor Baylock is saying? It's all propaganda lies, of course, but everyone kind of pretends like it's real news. I pass those reports along to them like I'm working for them. That's why I try not to transmit hardly at all. They can't tell what you hear, but if they catch me keyed on, oh, they'll be up here with a be in their bonnet, demandin' to know what I'm up to. G. 5. F. Niner. A. 6. Zed! 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 Tomahawk! Zed! 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 The speaker resumed hissing, a soft white noise. Paul studied his notepad for a moment before stuffing it inside a jacket pocket. All set then? Doug asked. Paul nodded. Still got plenty of charge in the batteries? Doug addressed Paul. Want to listen around for some local action? Paul shrugged indifference, but also nodded. Doug turned the tuner slowly. Different tones and intensities of static took their turn through the speakers. Sometimes an undecipherable buzz of a voice would fade in and out. In stark contrast, a clear male voice came from the speaker. Not sure we can hang on. Down to our last box of food. Please help. Hello, hello. Is someone out there? Please answer. My family is down to our last box of food. Oh, dear, Susan said. Oh, that sounds bad. She looked at Paul. Is that someone you could help? Paul scrunched up his face as if he'd eaten a bitter peanut. With just one eye open a slit, he looked at her sideways. What a strange reaction, Susan thought. What does that mean? I don't think so, miss, Doug interjected. ''But they're almost out of food,'' Susan protested. Uh, ''We've got food. Uh, well, Sandy and Carl have food. I guess I shouldn't volunteer their food, but still, th- there must be something we can do to help.'' ''Oh, it's not that,'' Doug continued. ''It probably ain't real.'' It was Susan's turn to tilt her head like a puppy. ''Real?'' ''Signal's really strong,'' Doug pointed to a little gauge on his receiver. The needle wavered near the far right end of the scale. Probably from right close around here. And pretty nice rig, too. Uh, Lots of watts. That guy's voice sounded strong, too. Uh, Not hungry. Wait, you, you mean it's a trap? Susan covered her open mouth. She looked at Paul. No wonder he looked all scrunchy like that. He nodded. She was embarrassed that she had almost fallen for it. Could be a trap. Feds try that now and again, Doug said, trying to crack the black market, catch smugglers, etc. Oh, well, never mind then. Susan stood closer to the window. Doug rotated the big knob a few more degrees. A thin voice struggled through waves of static. Doug turned the knob farther, but Susan stopped him. Wait, wait, go back. That sounded familiar, uh, I think. Wounded. Need medical supplies. Urgent. Is anyone
1: out there? Come in, anyone.
0: Yes, ah, I know that voice, said Susan. She squinted at the radio dial as if it would help her hear better. Urgent need for antibiotics. Can't stay up here much longer. Please, anyone. I do know that voice. That's Byron Davis, Susan announced. He was the leader of a group down in Northfield. I stayed with them for a while. They refused to go live in the cantons, hid under the buildings. Fed troops came up suddenly. Everyone had to scatter. There was so much shooting. Oh, God, some of them must have gotten shot. He said, wounded. Oh, we got to help them. I mean, can't we help them? She gave Paul a pleading look. They helped me a lot. I owe them so much. Isn't there something we could do? I'm sure this isn't a trap. I know his voice. Now hold on, Doug raised both hands. We have no idea even where he is or anything. so ask him, Susan pointed at the microphone. I mean, uh, could you ask him, please? Uh, I have to at least try to help them. They helped me when I... Susan stopped. The door to some memories began to creak open in her mind. She shuddered and shook her head, using force of will to keep the door closed. Uh, "'When I really needed help, Uh, please?' She stepped back, beside the window, in the comfort of the light. Doug looked at Paul. Paul studied Susan's face. She half-smiled through a grimace as her mind struggled to close the memory door. Paul gave Doug a single nod. "'Okay, but I'm gonna make this quick, so they don't catch me.' Doug flipped switches on the front of a box that had been dark." Orange lights glowed on. Needles jumped inside of gauges. His signal's pretty weak. i going to go short and strong. Come in. Anyone. Anyone? Said the thin, Byron voice. I read you, Doug said in a Moses-like tone. To Susan he whispered, he, Has he got a nickname or something? Might reassure him that we're not a trap. Uh, chief. Call him Chief. I read you, Chief. Uh, What is your position? Uh, Keep it cryptic. Oh, wow. Hey. The signal stopped for a moment. Oh, sorry. Uh, I dropped you. Uh, Thank God you answered. Yes, yes. This is Chief. Uh, Wait, how did you... Oh, never mind. My position? Oh, cryptic. I'm, uh, east of Keene. Is that enough? Look, I've had several injured people who really need antibiotics. We ran out. Can you help us? Stand by, chief. Doug switched off the transmitter. The orange lights faded out. You, you turned it off? Susan pointed at the dark transmitter. We didn't do anything yet. Yeah, even dead air is still transmitting. Gives him more to triangulate on, said Doug. We'll come back on when he's got something else to say. Now, this chief guy said Eastakin." Doug pulled a map out of a drawer. He unfolded it and ran his finger along the paper in lazy zigzags. I know a few sets out that way, uh, but they'd all be five by five. This guy is barely there. If he dropped his set, he's on a handheld. No way a handheld East could reach this far unless... His finger stopped on the tight concentric circles that marked an isolated mountain. Unless he's on top of a monadnock. What do you think? Doug looked up at Paul. The feds track medical supplies pretty closely. Usually rebel groups looking for 'em to treat gunshot wounds, which sounds like could be the case with this chief feller. Could be big trouble touching this one. Paul stared at the map with a mild frown. Susan wanted to think it looked more like a thinking about it frown than a rejection frown. She tried to stay quiet while Paul's wheels turned. She didn't want to ruin things by talking too much. He looked her in the eye with a stare that seemed to look right through her. Susan widened her pleading smile. Uh, they were there for me. Paul looked at Doug. Shively, Paul said. Doug leaned back as if offered a plate of cat food for supper. Daw, now, Paul, I don't know. I don't trust that shively character. "'He plays the independent wheeler-dealer, "'but I think he's a mole for the feds. "'Best case is he's working both sides. "'Either way, he's a peck of trouble.' "'Ooh!' Doug sat up, his face bright. "'Working both sides. Ah, that gives me an idea.' "'He turned to his transmitter and flipped the power switch. "'He spun the big knob while he was watching the dial. "'Who is this Shively?' Susan asked Paul. D- uh, "'Does he have medical supplies?' "'Paul nodded slowly with narrowed eyes that echoed Doug's distrust. "'Our last box of food,' said the clear voice in the speaker. "'We are trapped in New Hampshire. Starving. Can you help us?' "'Hallo,' Doug said loudly into his microphone. "'What is the nature of your emergency?' "'You said it was a trap.' protested Susan in a hoarse whisper. Doug covered the microphone with his hand. quite right, and I'll bet he is. I'm making me some cover. Oh, thank goodness. Hello, yes, we are down to our last box of food. We are starving in New Hampshire. Can you help us? What is your name and location? Doug asked in a slow dispatcher-like voice. He covered the microphone again. Paul, what do you figure Shivley will want in trade? He's been kind of obsessed with silver lately. Oh, Byron isn't going to have silver, Susan objected. They abandoned everything at the camp and on short notice. Well, you, you got to trade Shivley something, said Doug. Shiv don't give nothing away. Ammo, suggested Paul. Aye, oh, hey, he's asked for that before. My name is Ted Flanders. We are in West Chesterfield, just off of Route 9. Stand by, Flanders. Doug left the transmitter on, but unplugged the microphone. He turned to face Paul and Susan. Okay, so we go back on the air and ask this chief guy what medicine he wants and how much ammo he's got. Figure you've got to know how many chips are in your stack before you go playing cards with Shively. Paul nodded. Susan beamed as she looked from face to face. Things sounded hopeful. Doug plugged in the mic and turned the big knob. CQ, CQ, uh, come in, chief. Are you still there? Ah, yes. Not
1: sure how long these batteries will last, though.
0: Then I'll be quick, said Doug. What do you need and how much? Tell me when I key back in, in ten seconds. Doug quickly turned the knob back to Flanders' frequency. Your location is in New Hampshire? Oh, it is illegal to deal with anyone in New Hampshire. Doug's voice had a melodramatic tone. He spun the dial back, okay chief shoot
1: oh okay um
0: she wants uh one thousand capsules of siph cif- cephalosporin five hundred m g s and uh, hold on uh one thousand capsules of amoxicillin uh also five hundred m g s uh that's it. Roger that, chief. Uh, Stand by for my next key in. Thirty seconds. Doug spun the knob. Where is your sense of humanity? said Flanders. My two small children are starving. You must help us. I've got no food to give you, Flanders, said Doug. I will, however, pass along your name and location and situation to someone uh, over and out. He spun the knob. He muttered to himself, down to his last box of food. What the heck is a box of food, anyhow? The children are starving. It's always the little children, isn't it? Doug cleared his throat. Okay, chief, got your list. What do you have to trade? Source will be interested in silver or ammo. Give me your best offer. We'll bargain from there. After a long pause, Byron's voice hissed back on amid the static. Oh, we have no silver. Told ya, said Susan. Shh, hissed Doug. I guess we could spare, oh, well, what do you think? Uh, We could trade uh, 300 rounds of uh, 556. That's the max, and uh, what? You're sure? Well, okay. Uh, 500 rounds of 9 mil. Uh, We have to keep some for security. Understood, Chief. Uh, We'll take your info to someone who might have what you want. Meet me back on this frequency at, uh, Doug looked at Paul. Noon tomorrow, said Paul. This frequency at noon tomorrow. Tomorrow? Oh, Lord, I have to stay up here another night. I'm not going back down and up again. Yeah, okay, okay. Thanks for trying. Uh, I'll be back at noon. Uh, Chief out. Doug switched off his equipment and studied a small gauge. Ah, look at that. 12.2 volts. Even after some high-power transmits, i still got some battery left. I really appreciate you guys helping, Chief, Susan said. Ah, uh, well, we ain't done nothing yet. You started the process. You made contact and— Oh, wait. Uh, will you be in trouble with the, um, townies for this? Susan asked. Oh, bah, I don't think so. Oh, I'm sure they'll be up here proudly tomorrow demanding to know what I was doing transmitting high power. I'll pass along this Flanders' info as if I'd discovered some sneaky criminal at their doorstep. <laughs> big scandal, eh? The sweet thing is, they probably know this Flanders, because he's their fishing mate. So it'll be a whole big bag of nothing. But they can't let on that they know it is. Doug chuckled to himself. <laughs> I'll be snitching on their snitch. <laughs> you gotta love it. Oh, well, the, that's good, Susan smiled. Doug had the grin of a small boy enjoying a game. Uh, But where is this Shively guy, and does he have the things like Chief asked about? Ah, that's for you and Paul to find out. I can't have nothing to do with it. Plausible deniability. You'll have to get word to shiv all on your own. Word? Susan's expression went blank. That's right. I wanted to send a message. But after all this transmitting... Bah! Doug waved away her concern. "'I can send a little burst later when traffic is high. It won't stand out. What's your message?' Doug pulled a square of paper from under one of the radio equipment cases. "'Oh, um, okay. Uh, my message. Uh, right.' Susan drummed her fingers on the windowsill. "'No real names. I know that part. But you need a real name for the receiver. And no sender's places info. Uh, Okay. Okay. What about this?' Two Simmons, Cheshire. Miss every one a lot. Oh, not so fast. These fat fingers can't write that fast. Susan waited until Doug looked up. I'm okay, but can't come right now, she paused. Got stuff to do. Pixie Well, that's vague enough. <laughs> Pixie, huh? Uh, bet there's a story there, Doug smiled. Oh, maybe she mimicked Doug's cagey tone. She felt her guilt of silence eased somewhat. Well, if the Siege podcast is your first exposure to book five, you might have been thrown a little by chapter three's abrupt change in location and characters. Yeah, book five is different from the first four, in that it's got two locations and two main characters. One is Martin in Cheshire, and the second is Susan in Vermont. Their stories run in parallel. The chapters alternate, more or less. I hope that doesn't get too confusing. In podcast news, the Siege podcast passed a new milestone. 50,000 downloads. I really do appreciate all of you who've been following the story all this way. Thanks. And a reminder that I'm leaving open the free trial membership on Patreon at least a little while longer. If you think you might be interested, check it out. Links are in the show notes. And thanks to Anne for buying me some coffees at Buy Me a Coffee. Thanks for listening. I'll bring you another chapter next week.